Fireflies Unite with Kia, your weekly podcast from the perspective of individuals thriving with a mental illness. We are normalizing the conversation about mental health within communities of color to foster mental wellness and empowerment. Hey, Fireflies. I pray that everyone is doing well and really working toward healing by living in their truth. I come from the school of thought that everyone needs a therapist, and that includes therapists too. Whether they have experienced a trauma or not, or have or have a mental illness or not, as they are sitting in sessions listening to their clients' experiences, it can also take a toll on them if they do not take care of themselves. But what happens when a therapist who has experienced a trauma and has a mental illness, how do they help their clients? So today I want to share the story of an amazing therapist who is thriving in all of her Black girl magic and is also a therapist. Siobhan Odom is the visionary of Acoma Counseling Concepts. She is passionate about the mental health of women and raising mental health awareness. At her practice, Acoma Counseling Concepts, she provides counseling services to women and girls from eight years old to adults by using cognitive behavioral therapy and person-centered theoretical orientation and solution-focused and interpersonal therapy. She specializes in maternal mental health counseling for first and second time mothers. Siobhan strives to empower, encourage, motivate, and support women to live healthier lives. So I want to welcome Siobhan and thank you so much for joining me today. How are you? Hi, I'm good. I'm good. I am so glad that you accepted, you know, my invitation for the podcast because when I read your story, I was so moved because it is so powerful. And I was like, people have to hear her story because a lot of times when they look at therapists, they think therapists just tell people what to do and they're immortal and they're superhuman and they have all the answers in the world. But at, you know, at the end of the day, therapists are people. And they experience life just like the next person. And I wanted you to share your experience about mental health. Uh, was it talked about when you were growing up or was it taboo like it is in most Black households? It was taboo at first. I never, uh, when, when I had a family member that um, was experiencing mental health, we still didn't talk about it. And it really... I guess we really started to, to really talk about it when I became an, um, a teenager in, in high school. And so um, my mother, who is an educator, uh, she's just very big on just children developing cognitively in all areas, whether it's even emotional development. So she spoke to me in high school very freely about being able to speak to a therapist and feeling comfortable to speak to a therapist when we just don't, don't know how to cope. Um, but I, I will say, though, um, having, coming from my, like, yeah, having my mom's side of the family from the Caribbean. So, yeah, there's definitely a lot of taboo in that side of the family. Like, we're just not talking about it. We, you know, there's no need to talk about it. You just pray about it. So mental health still has a long way to go. I agree. I agree. I have been saying this, too, on a few of the podcast episodes that I think millennials are pushing the conversation forward because our parents or grandparents, mm, they were more likely to say, just pray about it. That was their way uh, for coping or trying to cope. But I'm glad that we are getting to a place of making sure that the future generation of communities of color will actually, by the time they are, you know, grown and think that it will just simply be normalized, which is the point, you know, of me birthing the podcast. And so, I want people to know not only are you an amazing therapist, but you also battle with generalized anxiety and um, panic disorder and also are a survivor of sexual assault. Can you please share your personal mental health journey and when did you start noticing signs of a mental illness? I would say just like how I mentioned in my story, um, I was... I was raised by somebody my freshman year of college in my dorm, and when I came home <clears throat> to visit my parents uh, shortly after, when I came home just on a weekend visit from um, weekend break from from college, my parents were like, "Okay, Siobhan, this happened to you. 
you really need to talk to someone about it. And, I mean, they were aggressive in telling me you need to talk to someone about it. And I, being a uh, immature 18-year-old, I was like, no, I don't need to talk to anyone about this. Like, what are you talking about? Like, I've moved past it. And um, I can only imagine how frustrating, looking back, how frustrating that must have been for my parents. Because had it just been maybe a year, two years before, I wouldn't have had a choice in the matter. They could have just signed me up for therapy. And so I just was like, no. And I remember my mom just telling me, like, go, if you don't go to therapy, this is going to come back to haunt you in ways that you can't even imagine. I really think it's because I refused to go to therapy for my sexual assault my freshman year of college that I really started, I started to develop um, issues with anxiety. Um, I didn't go to therapy until, wow, until I was a graduate student. And what had happened was, I guess, I had become so fixated on things having to be perfect having to look nice and be right, it was really starting to impact my schooling. Um, and it was really starting to just impact my overall functioning. And I really do think that if I went to go to therapy after my sexual assault um, and really came to terms with the fact that I was okay, I was not a dirty person, I was a clean person, that there was something to be clean and be perfect and fixed, I might not have felt this need to control or be in control of almost everything and everyone, because a moment of someone taking your whole entire control away from you and just violating your body, I mean, and not getting any help for it, that has some long-term effects. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, I ended up having to go to therapy in grad school. I had to take a semester off and then come back, come back to grad school and then um, and finish. And um, I guess I'm looking at my post. And I guess if it's okay, if I can read it so people can become familiar with my story. Sure. Okay. So um, pretty much in 2000, I had a life experience that would change me forever. I was a freshman in college and had become the victim of sexual assault in my college dorm. I refused mental health therapy for years. As a result, I experienced bouts of depression and anxiety for the rest of my adult life. When someone takes the security of your life, it rocks the world in ways unimaginable. My college classmates didn't understand what was happening to me and often ridiculed uh, me for decreasing weight and the horrible rumors that were spread about me. I never reported my rapist, and my rapist would call me nightly and threaten to spread rumors about me being a whore, and he actually did it, and people really did believe him. And after a while, I began to believe that I was a horrible person. And so one unsuccessful suicide attempt later, I took a semester off, and then I transferred colleges. Um, I actually moved back to my home state of Massachusetts to be closer to home to my parents, and I transferred to a college um, back home. And so when a person is raped, it feels as if a part of your soul dies, and I felt I wasn't worthy of living. Later in life, anxiety disorder plagued me because I needed everything to be perfect and to wipe my, uh, my dirty slate clean. And so through the encouragement of grad school faculty and my parents, I finally participated in therapy. Finally. And I had to take anti-anxiety meds to help me ease the anxiety of not feeling safe in my environment due to my rape and due to not being in control. And so today, um, I still struggle with anxiety periodically. Um, I do go to my own therapy. I make sure that I advocate for the voiceless, the tortured, the shamed. And, you know, therapy saved my life. Medication saved my life. And mental health is real. So that pretty much is my story. So yeah, as a therapist, I'm a huge advocate of people going to therapy and pretty much getting your stuff together. Yeah, I couldn't I couldn't agree more. I think it's really important for people to understand that when you have a traumatic experience, like you said, if you do not address it, it will resurface because suppressing things, it just does more damage and more harm than you can ever imagine. And so that's why I had said with my experience, when I started to show signs probably around about 12 or 13 of generalized anxiety disorder, being able, you know, where your heart feel like it's, or your chest feels like it's closing in and started having my first um, suicidal thoughts around that time as well. Now, just think if I would have gotten help when it first started, how 
much further along I would be now in my mental health journey. I may not even have had the experience of having a suicide attempt. And so that's why I want to encourage people to make sure that if there is something that is bothering you to the point where, you know, you can't sleep at night or you're isolating or you're gaining weight or you're losing weight, you're, you're not eating, you're not showering, you're not, you're not able to take care of yourself as an adult on a daily basis, that's usually a sign that something is going wrong. And so I'm so glad that you shared your experience because I want people to know that it's okay to go to therapy and the benefits of it. I'm assuming it's because of your sexual assault that that's when it started to trigger your panic attacks and anxiety or were you started or were you, did you ever experience that as a child before? No, I can, I can distinctly remember prior to that, like I didn't worry about things, you know, I just was able to go with the flow of a lot of things and um, just the concept that something could go wrong in any situation and not be in control, it never occurred to me. It never occurred to me. So um, after that, it's all like I definitely became focused on being in control of things and everything going smoothly and perfectly and really having that fear of, oh, my gosh, what if this doesn't work out? I mean, just having, just thinking of like the impossible. And so, um, but that's how anxiety works. You know, you start thinking that, oh my gosh, if I can think of this scenario, if I can think that somebody could do something like this, that means that it can really happen. And the reality is that may never happen. <laughs> so mm-hmm. definitely, um, I definitely connect my rape to that. I definitely say that it was my rape. Okay. And so you, like you said, we're going to therapy, but prior to this, so what would you say led you to pursue a career as a therapist? Oh, I tell everybody this story, and it's it's nothing life changing. Um, there's an episode of the Cosby Show where Theo is a broke college student and he's hungry, so they have this job fair, um, this local job fair in the community or at his university. So he decides to go because he's hungry. He just wants to eat some free food, and he critiques the food of one of the potential employers so bad. They're like there's a job for that. And he's like, there's a job for critiquing food. And they said, yeah, it's called an industrial or organizational psychologist. And so that's where it started. Like for me in the fifth grade, I thought I wanted to be an industrial, um, industrial or organizational psychologist. And over time I realized like by the time I got into high school, um, no, by the time I got into undergrad, I realized that I wanted to do much more counseling psychology um, and so that's how the interest for me to be a therapist was developed. Now that you, you know, so that passion has always been there. But when you're working with clients, how do you guard yourself as a therapist who has experienced trauma and working with clients who may have experienced something similar? And do you believe that, all, you know, therapists also need therapy and why? Oh, okay. Well, that, that's, that was a lengthy question. So um, first things first, um, licensed mental health therapists are trained in graduate school how to, to, to make sure that they get their personal life experiences in check before they counsel uh, human beings. So it's actually unprofessional to go into a counseling session, bring your own personal issues and projecting that onto a patient or giving a patient advice because of an emotional response that it's making you feel. It's that there it's that patient's time, but forty five minutes to an hour is that patient's time and all all efforts and energies really need to be focused on that patient, what's happening for that patient, how that patient is experiencing the world around them and how to be the best support for them. It's really not the therapist's time to just be like, Oh my gosh, this happened to me, let's focus on me. Like we can pay for someone we can pay someone else to have that time for ourselves. So I, so because, because I went to therapy, because I went to therapy and worked out my own issues, um, I was able to learn my own coping skills and support systems and to, to have some closure so I can be able to provide uh, behavioral health support to individuals that may have been assaulted. And um, truth be told, without um, going through some of the experiences that our patients do, 
there are some stories that some patients may share that it doesn't matter whether you experience what they experience could make anybody as a human being be like, oh my God. I can't believe this happened to you. But we still have to keep those things in check for ourselves because we are there to be of service to a person and to really help them go through their process and without being judged and for them to do it in a safe and confidential place and not have them feel like they're in a peanut gallery. And I've heard how sometimes there are some, um, unfortunately, impaired therapists that will like hear clients when they're like sharing their issues and they'll turn it into the therapist session. And it's like, that scares people. That's highly unprofessional. So I do strongly encourage that therapists do go to therapy. Um, I unfortunately have had some experiences of being taught by like, I had some professors. Fortunately, I had professors that preach therapy, but unfortunately, I also had some professors that were like, what? Go to therapy? For what? So there are some therapists in the field that they don't believe in getting therapy for themselves. And so a lot of that is, I don't know, maybe due to their own personal beliefs or just the fact that they haven't gone to therapy or maybe not having their own professional support system that encourages them to to go to therapy. Um, but all great professionals, all great licensed mental health professionals have either gone to therapy at one point in their life or they are going to therapy. How one can know how to be a really good therapist is to actually be in the client's chair themselves. Like, I think me going to therapy helped me to become a better therapist because when you're sitting in a chair in front of somebody, you become really aware of like, oh, wow, like, I feel really nervous. I feel really scared here. Or um, I know one time I had an experience where I went to at least two sessions with a therapist and I was like, we're just not clicking. I, I did not feel like the therapist style matched, matched my life and matched my needs. But through that experience, it also taught me like that one, it's okay that there's not always going to be a client therapist match. And that two, it also taught me like, okay, well, what can I do as a therapist to not recreate this uncomfortable experience for my future therapy client? Um, so something as simple as yawning um, <laughs> in a session um, or just constantly looking at the clock or the watch. Sometimes just being on the receiving end of that and seeing that your therapist is looking at the watch or yawning, if you're in a very vulnerable place, you might be thinking like, oh, my gosh, like my therapist is tired of me. My therapist is bored or why do they care about my time? Um, so I make, it's because of those experiences, I now make the conscious action ever in the beginning of every new therapeutic relationship with my clients to let them know, hey, I've been a therapist for quite some time, but my body still struggles with the fact that I'm in four walls for a majority of the day and I yawn. I yawn because I need fresh air. You know, it's not because I'm bored. It's because I'm in the same recycled air for seven to eight hours a day, or I'll let clients know in the beginning of the session that you may see me checking the time periodically, not to say that you're boring or not to say that I don't want to be here, but really to just make sure that we're capturing all the things that we need to capture in the time that's allotted just for you. And those are all things that I became aware of just sitting on someone else's couch. I'm so glad you said that because what you just said, it humanizes a therapist, which is very important for people to realize. And even with that experience, you also mentioned that you had to take medication for your mental illness. Can you talk about the benefits? You don't not necessarily we're not going to say what, you know, the type of medication, but really just talk about how the medication was beneficial to you with helping you cope. Some people are like hesitant like, "Oh, medicine is just for crazy people." And we really want to, you know, go against that stigma. Oh, you're going to get me all scientific. So um, I always tell this to people, like if you don't have a problem taking medication to regulate your diabetes or if you don't have a problem taking medication when you're sick, like with the cold or the flu, we really should be looking at it in that way with um, our mental health. Um, I've met parents that tell their kids that they're taking vitamins instead of mental health medications. And I'm like, well, we've now set this child back a good couple of years. 
um, because if you don't believe in the efficacy of the of this medication, your child's not. So for me, um, when I was in grad school, uh, my anti-anxiety medication was helpful for me because I had a hard time sleeping. I was so anxious that, like, my mind was constantly, like, worried all the time. And um, I was always trying to be 10 steps ahead of everything, making sure my assignments and everything was done. And so my um, anxiety meds actually helped me to go to sleep. I mean, get some great sleep. And some people would be like, well, how come you couldn't have taken an over-the-counter medication? Well, you know, people's body chemistries respond to different things differently. We don't all respond to things the same. I also wanted something that would also really work to try to repair some of the neurological damage that anxiety could have could have had on my brain. And quite frankly, if you're taking something over the counter, that's really not going to change any of the neurological activity that's happening in my brain pertaining to my anxiety and my mood. So you can do scans of people's brains and you can actually see that someone has anxiety. You can actually see that someone has depression. One of the cool some of the coolest experiences I've had working with psychiatrists, uh, medical doctors that are trained in prescribing medications to people for mental health issues, is that um, they can actually do blood work and all these different lab tests and be able to tell when someone is um, on the verge of a psychotic break, someone is about to be manic, when someone is over-medicated. They actually, this, this is a true story. So... A lot of times, people don't even know this. Going to a psychiatrist is helpful because there are a lot of primary care medical doctors that don't even take, don't even go to a psychiatric rotation in medical school, nurse practitioners included. But yet they're board certified by and to be able to prescribe antidepressants and um, anti-anxiety medications. Why am I mentioning this? Because most African Americans utilize primary care for their psychiatric needs instead of going to a psychiatrist or a psychiatric nurse practitioner for psychotropic medications. So when we talk about people being overly diagnosed um, or not treated properly, you have to look at who are they going to for treatment. And I know I may be going on a tangent here, but there's a reason why I'm including all of this. Because we can't just talk about why medication is important and how it helped us if we don't understand where to go and who to go to to get it done and why. And so what I've found is that I've seen many times people will go to a primary care doctor. Um, I've seen this many times with patients. They've gone to several primary care doctors. They, like, had one curse out all the doctors in the clinic. And they've been to several ERs. Everybody kept saying, sir, I don't understand why you're upset. Like, you just have insomnia. Well, within the first month of our psychiatrist coming on board at the place that I was working at, the psychiatrist did blood work and was just like, um, yeah, so this person doesn't have a sleeping problem. They're actually on the verge of having their first psychotic break. This person has schizophrenia. Mind you, this person was taking all these sleep meds because all these primary care docs and ER docs were saying that they had a sleeping problem. But when he went to the right professional, he took the right medication because the right blood work was done. And the medication was effective for this person. So I want to stress that because I've seen people with depression, I mean, with bipolar disorder, they keep utilizing their primary care physician um, and sometimes have severe side effects like having never-ending diarrhea that's been going on for months, only to see a psychiatrist for the first time in life for them to sort of psychiatrist to tell them like, oh my gosh, there's too much lithium in your system. We need to titrate you down. And before you know it, they're evened on out. Their bipolar symptoms have evened out. And some people don't even need to go to therapy. They're okay with going to a psychiatrist or a psychiatric nurse practitioner to get the right medication. Um, and they don't need the skills. But some people do need the skills and the pills. So I wanted to mention that to say that, like, my medications helped me because I went to a psychiatrist who was able to really look at me literally inside and out and figure out what would work for my body chemistry. I did not go to a primary care professional. Well, let me say this. You heard it here first by Ms. Siobhan Odom, okay? <laughs> because I'm like, yes, you were breaking it down. I'm like, that's exactly what we need. It's so important. Like, I want people to hear and understand what you are saying, because I had the experience when that when I was diagnosed, I went to my primary 
doctor and I, it was probably like maybe, I would say two weeks into therapy. And my therapist said, well, Takia, I don't think that we can have much progress in therapy if you're not on medication because you're in such a depressive state that you're not going to make a lot of progress. So I said, okay, well, I'll just go to my primary doctor and get some that antidepressant. Not realizing, okay, I got the antidepressant. It was not working. It was making me, or I'm not going to say it didn't completely work. It worked a little, but I was also gaining weight, but I was, my anxiety was through the roof, like chest pains, not able to sleep. Like it was just terrible. And so eventually I just said, you know, I'm not taking this medication anymore. It wasn't until my suicide attempt and I was hospitalized. And when you're in the psychiatric unit, you get a social worker and you also get a psychiatrist. And the psychiatrist finally gave me the medication that I needed and the antidepressant. And that helped. Um, And then once I, but I still, my anxiety was still crazy, you know, and that's why it's important. Something I want to bring up that people advocate for themselves, because while the doctors are also experienced and had years of training, no one knows your body like you, because they were still telling me, oh no, it's just the depression. There's no anxiety. I'm like, you cannot, I know for sure. So when I was involved in the partial hospitalization program, I saw the psychiatrist and she literally pointed out, she said, you, she looked at me and said, you definitely experienced severe anxiety. Yes, I do. And when she gave me the medicine within a couple hours, I was like, oh my gosh, this, this is how it feels to be like mellowed out. Cause I never knew ever since I was probably like 12 or 13, I don't remember what it's like to be like, uh, not amped up all the time. Like I was always on edge. And so once I, you know, I've taken the medicine, I was like, wow, I see the big difference. So you hit so many points. And I really hope that that removes the stigma and that tells people it's okay to take the medicine for the time needed. Some people may need it for the rest of their lives. Some people just may need it for just a period. It just depends. Everyone's, as you said, their our body chemistry is different. Because of obviously our DNA, our you know our parents, our family's history. So everyone, everyone is completely different in how, like you said, how one person's respond to a medication, another person may not. One of the things that I forgot to mention was that when I went to see a psychiatrist as a grad student, I was scared. Like, oh my gosh, like this is mean I'm going to get kicked out of my grad program, you know? Um, and so it was very scary for me to go just to just go. And so once I went and I saw that I could still go to school, I that was a major relief for me. Like I was a better student because I was able to go to the psychiatrist. I do want to add though that there are some states that they do empower therapists to go to therapy, but um I learned this year that in certain states if you are a licensed um licensed therapist and you are taking psychotropic medications for certain mental health disorders, it can potentially impact you being able to maintain your clinical license. So there are some people that are trying to make some movement to pretty much stop that, like pretty much stop that, to allow therapists to take care of themselves so they can be able to continue to take care of people. Um, So there may be, understandably so, some reluctance and hesitation of other therapists to see a psychiatrist for fear of not being able to maintain their licensure. So I just wanted to put that out there. I definitely want to thank you for sharing that because I really think we, we've made a lot of headway in what we were talking about, especially when it comes to medication for mental illness. And I really want people to understand it's really okay because I used to think the same thing as well. Like, oh, it's only for crazy people. But, you know, at the end of the day, a lot of people are quick to take an Advil if they have a headache. But for some reason, it's like, hmm, I don't know about taking, you know, I don't know about taking this medication if, you know, if I have, if I'm experiencing maybe mania. And so by having this conversation, it's just really getting us to a place of normalizing it. And I know that you have a passion and specialize in maternal mental health. Why is it important for you or really for women who 
experience postpartum depression or any type of fertility issues or a miscarriage, seek professional help. Because it can have potential impact on the unborn baby or if for moms that are able to deliver uh, a you know a healthy child or a child with some uh, health implications, it also has long-term impacts on the child's emotional and behavioral health development. So it's always difficult to talk to some moms about how their postpartum mental health issues can impact their children because some people can take that as, you're saying I'm a bad mom. And that's not what we're saying. We're saying that you're a good mom. We just want to help you continue to be great. And so some moms have a hard time hearing that because they're like, what do you mean? Like, I love my job. We know that you do. Um, What do you mean? I'm doing the best that I can. We know that you are. But sometimes due to stigma, some individuals believe that their superior mothering skills were surpassed all of their emotional deficits and that their child will develop extremely well, just totally independently, aside from the fact that mom may have struggled to wake up that day or mom may not be totally present and aware of things or is responsive to things due to her depressive symptoms. And so it's hard for some moms to focus on that. But why I became interested in it is because uh, black women, black American women have the world's highest maternal morbidity rate. Um, And so what does that mean? There are high rates. Black American moms have the highest rates of having a risk of dying during childbirth, post-childbirth. We also have the highest rates of uh, maternal mental health illness. And a lot of times, many women are first diagnosed with mental health issues during their pregnancy because they did not try to address those issues prior to even conceiving. Um, We have many, so we have some celebrities that are examples of that. Britney Spears was diagnosed with bipolar during her pregnancy. Bipolar doesn't just pop up during your pregnancy. You have bipolar long before you've conceived the baby. And so what I'm seeing is that us women of color, we read articles all the time that tell the truth that we have experienced intergenerational transmission of trauma due to our histories, um, our, our, due to our, our country's history of systemic racial oppression. And so how we cope with racism, sexism, a whole host of other stressors have been taught to us also has impacted our biological development seriously has um, impacted our sensitivity to developing other health issues so if we can really take the stance of providing education counseling and mental health support to a woman prior to her even conceiving a child we can also have greater chances of minimizing the occurrence of maternal mental health issues, which can also minimize the rates of low birth weight, preterm, um, preterm labor, miscarriage. I unfortunately have had the experience of talking to women of color that have experienced symptoms of perinatal depression, which is uh, a depression prior to giving birth, and letting them know you are experiencing some pretty severe stuff here, ma'am. We really want to help you start feeling good and feeling okay and optimistic and some moms will just say like this is ridiculous I don't know why you're talking to me about this it's a waste of time I need to go to work my man needs to eat my kids need to eat like this is ridiculous um this doesn't have anything to do with keeping the roof over my head and unfortunately I've had to hold the hands of some of the same women months down the line when they've learned that they've miscarried because they have not taken the time to just focus on their mental health And a lot of that goes back to how are we coping with stress? Mm. How are we coping with trauma? How are we coping with not standing up for ourselves and making the appropriate accommodations in our friendships, making the appropriate accommodations for ourselves in our romantic relationships, making the appropriate accommodations for ourselves in our work relationships? Well, if you're not going to learn how to do those things, if you're not going to learn how to have those hard, courageous conversations about the father or the mother, or the relative that assaulted you or hurt you in your childhood, that's not going to magically come to peace when you have a baby. Like, no, that escalates. You are preaching, okay? Like, I'm about to throw. I was like, I just want to throw. I was like, I'm about to throw my water bottle. I need to throw something because you are like hitting on 
some important points. It does not disappear. No matter what you're dealing with, when you decide to become a mom, like you, you said it, it only makes it escalate. And people have to hear that it is important to deal with any issues that you are having prior to conceiving. Because a lot of times, you, I'm pretty sure you find in your line of work that sometimes people do things because they, or let's, I'm not going to generalize it, just say, as far as saying anything in particular, they may have a baby because they say like, oh, they feel like it's going to keep the man there or the, or, you know, the baby's going to love me or like whatever these thoughts or reasons that they have behind conceiving. And then what they find is that after they conceive, that those issues are still there. Would you say that's accurate? Absolutely. Why did you birth a coma counseling concepts and what do you plan to accomplish with your practice? So um, I have a blog that I'm working on blogging on more often. I actually discussed how I came into uh, creating um, a coma counseling. It's, uh, my blog is called Siobhan Blog. Um, S-H-I-V-O-N-N-E blog. And what helped me birth the coma counseling is the fact that um, I was working um, full-time at a local community clinic in the city, in Washington, D.C., with a largely African-American population. And I was finding that the providers were not equipped, like all kinds of providers were not equipped to work with the population that we were servicing, there's no one there for the moms. Like, there's no one there to talk to these moms. Like, yes, we're talking to these moms about the excitement of, of bringing this baby into the world. We want to make sure that this baby's going to be healthy. But, like, no one's providing safe spaces for moms to just say, hey, you know, I'm really scared. Like, I'm really scared. I don't even think I'm cut out for this. Can I just give this baby away? Like, no one's talking <laughs> to these moms, you know, to providing moms a space for them to just say, hey, like, I feel like I suck at this. Well, let's build you right on it. You know, or, hey, I'm having some thoughts that I'm scared to say out loud because I'm really scared that child protective services is going to take my baby away. Well, let's talk about those thoughts because some of those thoughts would not be something for child protective services to take your baby away. Some of these thoughts belong to something that might be a disorder. Like, um, so that and also just do some personal, professional experiences and challenges that I was having as a clinician of color um, in, again, a largely non-African-American professional space serving um, mostly African-American clients. And we also serve a large uh, West African population. And so I was just seeing there's just so much work to be done on both sides. And so that's how I created a coma counseling. But if you want to know more about that journey, that's on my blog. And of course, I also talk about me having to go to therapy as a therapist while I'm trying to figure out, do I want to pursue my dream of starting a practice? And then I actually do create the practice. And then just all the stressors that go along with just being present, being present as a therapist and my full-time employer, my best full-time employer, and then also developing this practice and how therapy was very helpful for me. Um, because there were some people that were not happy at the fact that there was a black therapist creating a practice for moms and black moms to come and talk about themselves and mental health issues. How dare you? That was challenging. Wow. It's, it's truly been a pleasure just speaking with you because I know that what you shared is going to resonate with other women, with mothers, and helping them realize like, wow, these, okay, I have these thoughts. I don't have to worry about Child Protective Services coming to take my baby. It's okay for me to get the help that I need. And that will make me so happy just to see women of color being able to say like, you know what, I'm going to do what I have to do. Because I always say, if you want to be a better person, therapy is a great place to help you do that. I mean, just like a lot of time, a lot of times we go to church, but therapy is also another resource to do that. You have you have these roles of mom, business owner or executive, you know, 
you're planning your kid's schedule, you know, you're coordinating, you have all these different hats that you wear as a woman first. And then as a mom, it's okay to work through to work through that because it's a, I'm not a mother, but I do know that it is a very hard job being a mother. I watched my mom raise seven children on her own and I saw how difficult that is and that how, how, well, I can say how difficult it is because there's still five kids left in the house. And so it's okay to address your mental health concerns. And so if someone wants to inquire about your amazing services or connect with you on social media, how can they do that? Sure. You can follow me on Instagram. So yeah, so it's A-K-O-M as in mother, A underscore C-O-U-N as a Nancy S-E-L-I-N-G on Instagram. And then you can find me on Twitter at DC Therapist at Acoma Counseling, all one word. And so you can also find me on Facebook at Acoma Counseling Concepts LLC, or you can visit my website, which is acomacounselingconcepts.com. And I will also include all of your social handles as well as your website in the show notes so people can have that information and I will also share it on social media as well so people can have it there so thank you so much for taking time out of your day to just speak with me because I'm so glad that I had the honor to interview you because I was like I have to get Siobhan to tell her story so thank you so much I really appreciate it thank you thank you for having me of course So for this week's therapist shout out, the therapist is Janae C. Johnson, and she is a therapist, a author, and a speaker. She actually has a book entitled Dear Teen Self, and it's a source of positivity and motivation for teenagers. It encourages youth and helps them to navigate their teenage experiences. With this book, It will help teens discover ways to cope with trauma, manage their emotions, discover reasons why they make certain choices, and most importantly, they will be able to discover themselves. So again, Janae, she is based in the Philadelphia area, and she specializes in working with teenage girls. She is doing some amazing things. So if I have any listeners in the Philadelphia area, or South Jersey area, and you're looking for a therapist for your teenage girl, feel free to check her out. You will not be disappointed. Okay, so for this week, Mind, Body, and Soulness segment, I want to talk about something that's a bit light. For the past few weeks, we have been diving straight into some very, very heavy topics. And I want to make sure there is balance because when managing your mental health, it is important to have balance. And so I want to talk about essential oils and their wonderful benefits. Now, I will say that I use essential oils. I have a diffuser in my bedroom and I put my diffuser on at night and I'll put lavender and and frankincense and cedarwood and many other essential oils. I'll mix them or sometimes depending on what I'm feeling, like if I know I need rest and I'm really having a hard time going to sleep, then I will use lavender. I'll use cedarwood and also bergamot. They really do help me stay asleep. And I'm also training, training my mind. So anytime I smell those oils together, my body automatically knows it's time to relax and wind down. Now, there are some amazing health benefits to essential oils. Now, I do not want anyone taking this as the gospel and saying that you should substitute essential oils for 
medication for your mental health or your mental illness because that is I will you will not hear me say that because I do believe in people taking medication for their mental health if they're having challenges so I am working toward a more holistic way of living and yes while I still do take anti-anxiety and a anti-depressant eventually my goal is to not have to take the medicine but in the process I'm also not judging myself for needing them there was a study that was done. They were having patients who were getting ready to have surgery and they were feeling extremely anxious. And so they use oils like lavender oil because it has been traditional in helping people manage anxiety. And what they have found is that after giving or having a, using lavender oil for, you know, aromatherapy purposes, they saw that there was a decrease in the anxiety from using lavender oil. And even certain essential oils have been used by midwives to help reduce fear and anxiety during childbirth. So there was a study, it was for the Journal of Alternative uh, Medicine, and it showed that women who use aromatherapy during labor reported less pain overall and were able to use fewer medication. Actually, in 2016, there was a study published by Pain Research and Treatment, and it showed that aromatherapy can successfully treat pain when combined with conventional medication uh, treatment. Essential oils are great, not even if you have a, a mental illness, but if you are sick, one of my favorite oils is eucalyptus. Eucalyptus is the active ingredient used in Vicks. I try to not use things with a lot of chemicals or to toxins because I know that they can have an impact on your overall health. And so eucalyptus is the active ingredient, again, is in Vicks. And so it helps with respiratory and sinus problems so even if you have allergies so asthma bronchitis and I have asthma and I have found that when I've had a cold or I felt like a cold was coming on I immediately put peppermint and eucalyptus in my diffuser um, and then also I use eucalyptus and peppermint olive oil and I'll make my own vapor rub or Vicks rub and so that's a great uh, a great way so if you feel like you have a cold coming on also, like frankincense, it's a oil and it's great for building your immune system. It reduces inflammation and may help fight cancer. And when you are using essential oils, the scents respond to the receptors in your brain. And I know a lot of people, they are getting to a point where they're being more holistic. And so I wanted to just come and share and talk about essential oils. I'm actually in the upcoming week or really soon, I will have a episode where I will bring in someone who has a lot more knowledge and a lot more education on essential oils and allow them to talk about the benefits and dive into the science behind it. Um, and you can also use them in your bath, uh, your bath. So let me tell y'all, I love taking baths. All right. When I'm taking my bath, I bring my essential oils and I put a few drops of whatever oil I want to bathe with, depending on how I'm feeling. And so like, I know if I want to relax, lavender is a big one because lavender helps with re relaxation and it helps improve your mood. And even if you have burns and cuts, it, it can even help with that. And so I will get my Himalayan and Epsom salts and salt baths are really great for detoxing your body. I will get that. I will get a candle. My friend bought me a lavender soy candle, which is amazing. I love to smell lavender. And I'll light my candle in there. And let me tell y'all, when I get out of the bathtub, I feel like a whole new person. My mood, I'm a lot much calmer if I find that I'm stressed or that my anxiety is through the roof and I'm really worked up. Even essential oils just on your skin just do, does really great things. So there are so many benefits, but really I'm going to leave some links in the show notes that where you can purchase essential oils because you want to make sure you're getting really high grade essential oils and not cheap oils. And so I really hope that encourages you all because even if you're getting, say if you want to get a massage, like if I, when I know I'm going to get a massage, I'm not sure the type of oils that they use. So I'll bring my own oils. I have a friend 
who makes shea butters and makes and who makes oils and she is amazing so i'm like a huge advocate and always talking about essential oils because they do some amazing things from helping with insomnia digestion building your immune system um other essential oils um, also have antibacterial and antifungal benefits. So it's not just something that people are walking around and just saying, I encourage you to try it out because you never know what will work unless you try. Again, some people need to do other things, but it is certainly something that I have added to my treatment. And let me know how it works. Um, if you need some suggestions or what oils work for what, if I know, I'll definitely point you in the right direction. If I don't know, I'll find that information out for you and pass it along to you. So I really hope that you got something out of this. Okay, so we do not have any journal entries this week. So again, I want to remind you to send your therapist shout outs and your journal entries to podcast at fireflyesunite.com. Again, that's podcast at fireflyesunite.com. So that wraps up this week's episode of the Fireflies Unite podcast. I want to thank y'all so much for rocking with me. It has been a month since the podcast has launched and I'm so excited and I'm really proud of myself and I really appreciate the support. It's really not easy to come and open up and be really vulnerable because when you do that, you put yourself out for public ridicule and not everyone is going to support you. And so every just know y'all, I really do appreciate every single comment, every single tag, the likes, just, I'm just so appreciative. Y'all just really don't know. I'm so excited for the, the growth that we've had in just a month. And I look forward to seeing the community grow. I look forward to meeting so many of y'all in person. We, I have been talking to a few of you guys and we've been setting up how we're going to meet in person. So I'm really, really excited, you guys. Thank you so, so much. And you have a great week. Y'all know I'm always sending y'all positive vibes because that's how I roll. God bless. Talk to you next week. I hope that you obtain tools and resources from the Fireflies Unite podcast to help you manage your mental health. But please do not use it as a substitute for a relationship with a licensed therapist or psychiatrist. Let's continue the conversation by following me on Fireflies Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.